We access our greatest strength through vulnerability. So by allowing ourselves to get real about the truth of our lives and to express that and to share that, not with everybody, but with somebody, it actually gives us access to our greatest strength. And I believe that opening ourselves up to embrace the full spectrum of human emotion in all its rawness, in all its messiness sometimes, that's actually the ultimate act of courage. It's the ultimate act of heroism. Hi, this is Julie Hyde. Thanks for joining me on Making It Count, a podcast dedicated to inspiring leaders and business owners to be even better leaders, to create a great culture, empower their people, and be more productive. So let's get into it. My guest today is someone who really doesn't need too much of an introduction. Maggie Worrell is a best-selling author and global authority on living and leading with courage. Maggie has learned a lot about courage since growing up on a dairy farm in rural Victoria, Australia. She has spent the last 25 years working around the world while raising her four children. Founder of Global Courage and a member of the advisory board of Forbes School of Business and Technology, Margie has interviewed with global leaders such as Richard Branson, Bill Marriott, and former presidential candidate Steve Forbes and Marianne Williamson. And she has emboldened braver leadership with organizations such as NASA, Google, the UN Foundation, and Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway. Maggie is an honoree of the Women's Economic Forum. She's also a passionate advocate for the advancement of women, leading live Brave Women's programs globally. Maggie certainly walks her talk when it comes to living bravely, and she has recently summited Mount Kilimanjaro with her husband and their four children. Her latest book, You've Got This, The Life-Changing Power of Trusting Yourself, has been hailed as a book for these times, and this is something that we discuss on the podcast. So we chat about Maggie's journey to being a global authority on courage, tips for moving into the space of confidence and courage, the power of vulnerability and why we need it as a leader, especially now, and how to doubt your doubts. Now, this is a podcast, not only for now, but for always, and I think it will be one of your favorite listens. And I think Margie's book, You've Got This, is going to be one of your favorite reads. So please enjoy my chat with Margie. Margie, it's such a pleasure to have you on the podcast. So welcome. Ah, great to be with you. I'm super excited to be chatting to you today about your new book, You've Got This, uh, which has been hailed as a book for the times, and I absolutely couldn't agree more. Um, But before we get into that, I would love you to share with our um, listeners a little bit about your background and how a girl who grew up on a rural dairy farm and is one of seven is now a global authority on courage. I think your story is a real demonstration of how you walk your talk. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you. Yes, I have spent so much of my life outside my comfort zone, I'll say that much. Uh, yeah, so, and I guess that probably began actually even just growing up on on a farm in East Gippsland. But I remember moving to Melbourne to go to university at 18. No one in my family had gone to university. It was this big, strange city I'd visited a few times in my childhood. And that was really scary. And And then... But after three years and surviving and finding my way in the big city, um, it emboldened me. I was like, let's go and I want to go and 
tour the world and got a backpack and worked a job, two jobs for six months and set off around the world. And so every time I've done something that's sort of been a new frontier for me, while it's always been a bit scary, it's also emboldened me then for bigger things. And, mm. uh, and, and so I remember I, I met my husband and then we got married and we went and um, decided let's go and live and work overseas and we said, let's see who can get the first job overseas. I was working for a large consulting company. He was working for an oil company. And he came back and said, I can get an overseas assignment. I'm like, oh, cool, great. I'm thinking London, Paris, you know, somewhere exciting. And he's like, yeah, uh, Port Moresby. And <laughs> I remember thinking, wasn't like top 1,000 on my list, but it was like, let's let's do it. And we, we moved to Papua New Guinea um, and had yeah. nearly three years there early in our marriage. And I think it's probably that ex, that sort of just kind of let's treat life as the grand adventure it is that's probably led me then. Obviously, I went back to, I'd studied business. I went back, did psychology, trained in coaching. We moved back to Australia and then to the United States where I started working in coaching and personal and professional development. Um in between having my four children and while living in the US for 11 years, actually, is where I obviously a lot of the, a lot you know, some of the things that are on my resume, you know, working with NASA and working with, you know, the UN Foundation and what have you and getting some extraordinary experience, meeting some extraordinary people. Um, just, yeah, it just was all of that just kept opening up new, not even new always opportunities, but in my mind, even just new possibilities of oh, what, what I could do. And I think growing up in, on a small farm, you know, my father milked cows for 50 years, my own horizons, Julie, of what was possible were pretty limited by, you don't know what you don't know. And I think the more we venture outside our comfort zone and the more we go out and explore new experiences and new places and take on new things, the more we realize, ah, there's a whole new world. And, but that also, when we do the things that scare us and make us uncomfortable and we realise that we ha- that we can do it, it actually is such an emboldening experience because we go, well, if I can do that, what else can I do? And I think mm. that's where my work around courage, having obviously worked across many cultures, lived in multiple continents, um, I have found that the number one thing that holds people back is fear and it's why mm. the core of all my work is around helping people to be braver in yeah. how they lead and how they live in how they parent and in, in how we communicate. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, let's jump into your book now because um, the first words of the introduction was something that struck me and this was written pre-pandemic, which was <laughs> sometimes we have to be braver than we want to be. And sometimes when our challenges press in and our fears rise up a little, encouragement can make all the difference. I don't think there's ever been a time more important for people to have this book in their hands as we have some like massively huge challenges and people's fear and anxiety is heightened throughout this time. Um, You know, there's been a, a lot of reports about that. So what made you write this book? at the time that you wrote it and why why do you think it's all come about now yeah well there's a couple of and was it multi 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 parts to the answer to that question um as i've in my own life i 
I've had to rise above my own self-doubt so many times, Julie, and I still have them. I have them regularly. They pipe up regularly. Mm. But as I've worked with other people and in, in company and in organisational settings um, in, in various countries and cultures, so the US, Australia, I, I currently in Singapore, uh, again and again and again, you know, that this doubt, our, our fear of not having what it takes, our fear of being found out, our fear of failure and looking foolish, our fear of rejection, all of these, that fear in some way, shape or form so often gets in the way of us taking the very actions that would help us mm. realise we didn't need to be afraid. Mm. So, I, so part of the reason I wrote this book was to embolden people to be braver than they sometimes want to be. Yeah. But then that was then overlapped with my own personal experience over the last few years where I've had my plans completely turn pear-shaped and uh, I, I wasn't, actually wasn't planning to move to Singapore. We had plans. My husband's career was supposed to be going back to the US. We sent children ahead. Then his company changed their mind and said, we want you in Singapore. And I was left going, what? the hell (laughs) this is not how I planned it you know my big grand plans have all completely fallen apart and I found myself really struggling with how can I have faith in myself in the midst of so much uncertainty and so Mm. much disruption on a family personal level which was really really tough how can I have operate from a place that I've got this and I'm going to figure this out and I'm going to navigate a way forward even though the future is mired in uncertainty? And it was from that place that I decided I wanted to write this book, You've Got This. And to be honest, Julie, from from a business perspective, a commercial perspective, you know, I do a lot of work with large organisations, speaking at conferences in a very much a corporate leadership realm. And writing a book about having faith in ourselves, about, you know, dealing with self-doubt, you know, wasn't necessarily the commercially, didn't feel like the commercially smart brand building, you know, maybe I should have written a book that was more in from the head about leadership. And I just felt called to write it. I felt really called to write this book. And I've, it's probably with all my books, like I just, when I die one day, I don't want to think I left part of what was in me unspoken and unexpressed and so that's what really compelled me to write it last year so 2019 I I started in January I finished it in October I worked really hard all year and um and of course I had no idea that literally the week that it was launched I would be under a lockdown in two weeks of quarantine with my husband in hospital with COVID-19 so the irony of launching a book called you've got this and a book that you know the subtitle the life-changing power of trusting yourself in a week when I felt so incredibly ungrounded in some ways um was not lost on me but it also if anything reaffirms that what I wrote about in the book that if you've got a tug on your heart to do something if you're just feeling like I just need to do this don't let your rational brain try and talk you out of it sometimes we just have to trust that intuitive gut sense yeah. And I, and of course, I'm really, I'm really glad that I did just that. And I have opened up my own book so many times over the last few months. And, you know, when Andrew was, was actually in hospital and then quarantined for 30 days, I have three children in the US. One's living in the heart of New York City right now, has been there the whole time that they've got this. We've got this. We'll figure it out. And, and we are. And, um, and so I'm really hoping the messages in it will really help others to be grounded in 
themselves and in their own certainty that they can get through things. Yeah, I love that. I love the fact that you went back to your own thoughts as well. It's like, okay, so what would I be telling other people to do in this situation? It's like, I need to do this too. But yeah, I mean, gosh, to face into a situation like that, you know, and also thinking, oh, this is so exciting. I'm watching my book. And then your world just gets turned completely upside down. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. you mentioned that word uncertainty (laughs) and we don't deal well with uncertainty as human beings, do we? So it is going to really take us to look deeply and, as you say, to ground ourselves in our our own belief and our own faith that we can do it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm. And and, and it's interesting. I mean, I obviously, I'm actually doing my, my, PhD at the moment. I deferred it the first half of this year as I was launching the book and I'm just just starting it again now. Mm. But one of the things that I, the research shows that people who are grounded and very anchored in their own strengths and their own values, it acts like a psychological safety net that in Mm. the midst of so much uncertainty around us, when we look within ourselves for the certainty we cannot find outside ourselves, it actually helps to combat, ward off the doubts, ward off the stress, ward off the anxious thinking and help us think more clearly, feel more confident and and make smarter decisions than mm. when we're not doing that. When we're going, oh, you know, I don't know what the future holds. I'm like none of us know what the future holds. But when we know that whatever the future holds, we can handle it one day at a time, one hour at a time, that changes everything. It's it's profoundly transformative of our experience of being alive. And so whether you're in a leadership, and leaders need to be absolutely operating from that place because if people look at their leaders and go, I don't think they think they've got it, well, then it's going to stress everyone out. But when, uh, when if, you're in a leadership, if you're in a leadership role and you know, look, I don't have all the answers and I don't know what the future holds, but I I know that we'll find a way through this and you can operate with what I call deliberate calm and unbounded optimism, then that is going to send send cues, you know, that emotional contagion. It'll harness emotional contagion for positive effect. And and while I'm not running a big organisation, you know, as a mum of four kids, as someone who is a thought leader in my space, it's really important for me to show up um, from that place of I've got this, you've Mm. got this, we've got this. We don't know exactly how we're going to move through the next 6, 12, 9, 18, 20, you know, two years, but we will find a way and mm. and there is much to look forward to. Mm, absolutely. So powerful. So um, the first part of your book is about the daring, which um, where you talk about confidence and doubting your doubts. I love that. Um, is you Something that really resonated with me and you, you touched on it before is that voice that voice inside our heads that sometimes is a constant (laughs) but it's that voice that really holds us back from what we want to do um and we start procrastinating and finding all the excuses about why we can't do what we want to do so how do we quieten this voice and just step into that place of confidence yeah there are numerous different strategies that we can use to quieten that voice, but more so to reclaim the power that we give that voice. And as I wrote in in that chapter two of the book, Doubt Your Doubts, that voice never entirely goes away. 
we, we cannot eradicate all doubt from our lives. And frankly, we wouldn't want to. That would be dangerous. And mm-hmm. if you look at some people, some may come to mind of people who you think that act narcissistically, uh, you know, we think, you know, a little bit more doubt wouldn't hurt you. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not that it's not that we want to eradicate um, a voice that can provide critical analysis and reasoning to our decision-making, but rather it's about discerning between the doubts that are serving us, that are protecting us, that are keeping us from taking foolish actions from those that are stifling us. And so simply just acknowledging that who we are is not the little voice in our head. Who you are mm. is not your doubts. That doubt might be going, oh, you're not smart enough. Oh, don't do that. You know, you haven't got what it takes. You're just a dairy farmer's daughter, whatever. You know, just that's, they're not, it's, that voice isn't the truth. It's actually operating from fear. It's there to keep us safe. So one, just recognizing that who we are is not, is not the voice in our head. It is not the doubts. Giving it a name, sometimes just like, like yes, Debbie Downer, thank you. There you go again. I've called mine based on the concept of the small pop, this tall poppy syndrome, I just call mine my small poppy committee because there's a whole, there's a dozen of those little voices going, <laughs> who the hell do you think you are? You're not that smart. You're not that, you know. Um, secondly, just so, so, so giving it a name. Thirdly, sometimes just putting on a funny voice and what is it telling you? Saying it out loud with a funny voice. Like, mm. who do you think you are? You know, can actually help us to disassociate ourselves from it. But more importantly, and I share six questions in that chapter to help people really interrogate their doubts, you know, ask yourself, who would I be without, who could I be without that doubt? What price am I going to pay if I let that doubt dictate my actions? And am I okay with that? If I never pick up the phone and make the call, if I never send the email and ask that person, you know, will they you know, be on my podcast. If I, if I never, if I never do the things that my doubts warding me off from doing, am I okay with where I'll be a year from now? And actually, and if I did do those things, if I defied my doubt, what would be possible? And I, and I know myself, Julie, that every single worthwhile thing I have ever done, whether it was actually just as an 18-year-old, go to university when in my head there was a, you're not that smart. I had this paradigm, you had to be really smart to go to university. No one I, in my family had gone to university um, or go backpacking around the world. You know, it's really dangerous out there. You might get lost, you know, you, whatever. Um, having my fourth child, writing my first book, Every single thing, the most worthwhile things I've ever done, working into networking places, not knowing anyone, thinking who mm. am I to be here, has been in the presence of the doubt, not the absence of the doubt. It's been through by defying the doubts, it has helped me to realise they really, they're the fraud, they're the imposter, not me. And, and I think that's why I encourage people to to build that muscle, to to say, I'm going to do this anyway. And and that's how we learn and that's how we grow and that's how we build our courage for even bigger things. And right now, of course, we're all facing big things. Mm, absolutely. I love those questions, especially that one, am I okay with that? That's a really powerful question. And, of course, like you say, you've, got, uh, you've included those in that chapter so that people can refer to them, which is great. Uh, you touched, you were talking before about a leader's perspective and from a leadership point of view, we really need to get good at stepping into our, our space of courage. But um, in, in the chapter, I, I love that you're directly talking to women 
um, in particular about stop selling themselves short and there's lots of great stories in that but such a common thing that women do. Um, but I equally love that you have also written to men about vulnerability and um, this is a big one and I think especially for men and, you know, now is the time to be stepping into that space um, as a leader, men and women, but it, it's a way to enable people to feel safe to share how they're actually feeling as well instead of fearing that they're going to be judged, that they're incapable or in, they're incompetent because they're not feeling great at the moment. So can you talk a little bit more about that? I think that's super powerful and that's in the second part of the book. I love how you've structured your book too. Yeah. Look, we know that, and obviously Brene Brown has done a lot of work around vulnerability and shame, and, and the number one shame trigger for men is appearing weak. And socially, culturally, uh, you know, for men, women, it's about not being attractive. You know, it's being, we want to be, we, so much of our worth is because of how we look. But for mm. men, it's, it's being strong and, and a fear of being weak. And so we know that, Obviously, right now, a lot of people are struggling and and yet so often it's really hard, extremely difficult for men to express vulnerability and say, I'm struggling. And yet I believe, and I, as I wrote about in the book, we access our greatest strength through vulnerability. So by allowing ourselves to get real about the truth of our lives and to express that and to share that, not with everybody, but mm. with somebody, it actually gives us access to our greatest strength. And I believe that opening ourselves up to embrace the full spectrum of human emotion in all its rawness, in all its messiness sometimes, that's actually the ultimate act of courage. It's the ultimate act of heroism. But it's also what can transform us and liberate us because if I'm not afraid of you seeing the truth of who I am, and my, sometimes my struggle, I don't always struggle, but the struggle that I sometimes have, if I don't have that fear, then actually that allows you to connect with me in a much more authentic way mm. and it allows us to build a deeper connection that we can strengthen each other. And frankly, then it allows me to get the help and the support that I need and to realise, you know what, I am going to be okay. But when we put on a mask, when we armour up, when we don't allow ourselves to connect from that place, because it is so confronting to our sense of identity of who we're supposed to be. I'm supposed mm. to be strong. I'm supposed to have it all together. I'm supposed to be the provider. I'm supposed to have all the answers. Because if we don't, then actually we cut ourselves off, not from just other people around us who would potentially be able to support us, but actually we even can cut ourselves off from ourselves. So we can become a stranger even to ourselves that we're mm. not really truthful in our own lives and I know I know for me and, and this isn't only relevant for men of course it's relevant for women as well Absolutely. but because of the social conditioning often there's a pressure on men to feel like they have to be strong and have the answers and fix things and solve things and 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 it's why um you know I, we've had a lot of mental illness in my family and I remember when my brother was really struggling with it and the the stigma around mental illness and and the stigma about appearing to not have it all together 
um, I think kept him and, frankly, I think it my actually even members of my family from just saying, we're struggling, we need help. And so I think right now, I believe we're going to have, obviously we have, there's a health, a virus with the crisis, but economic crisis, but a mental health crisis. Um, And so I I feel really strongly about encouraging people who are struggling to reach out and say, I'm I'm struggling right now and to get that help. And when we do, as I know myself, when I've struggled, um, not necessarily with mental ill health, but just, just struggling, just having a tough time. We're actually, when we, when we don't reach out and say to people, hey, I'm having a tough time, it actually deprives other people of the gift and the, what they get from helping us. And I know mm. myself, I love helping other people. Like mm. it, that strengthens me too. So, so there's such a two-way benefit when we do that. Yeah, absolutely. Particularly, yeah. and in, in Australia too, not for, this didn't affect everybody. It certainly affected my family, uh, East Gippsland. We were evacuated from the fly, fires in January. Mm. Um, my brother or sister-in-law live there. They have vacation holiday units that they rent out. They lost a massive source, the busiest time of the year, lost all their income. Then they yeah. filled it all up for Easter. Then, bam, it was all cancelled again. And so just the toll on a lot of people in these areas that were affected by bushfires They'd already used up their cup of resilience was kind of, was on pretty much nothing and then thrown into this. So people's capacity was already pretty low to deal with something else. Um, And so I think that's something that's been a double hit um, Mm. for for many Aussies. Mm. Yeah, I so agree. It's been an awful start to the year for many and uh, continued, unfortunately. Now, your last chapter talks about um, leading the change that you want to see, and I really love this. I think it's a really nice way of sort of tying a bow around our discussion around your book a little bit too because it's very much tying it back into the title. But um, we, we all really do have an opportunity to now lead the change that we want to see, um, as scary as it may be, and that can be a tiny little minute little change within the household, within the community, you know, and, of course, out there um, in the world. But I think the world really needs us to do this right now, doesn't it? Absolutely. Um, break Breakdowns always precede breakthroughs, as you, mm. as you know, as a coach. Um, and I believe that every adversity has the seed, to quote Napoleon Hill, of an equal or greater benefit However, we have to look for the seeds, we have to water the seeds, we have to wait patiently for those seeds to take to take root and blossom. And right now in the midst of such a massive breakdown of, of global proportions of a magnitude unlike anything any of us have known in our lifetimes, I think is incredible opportunity. But I really believe that, and obviously it's why I do what I do, that every one of us has a has has power to lead change and a lot of biggest thing that gets in that that disempowers us is our belief that we don't have that power so you don't have to be an elected official you don't have to have a title you don't have to be have people reporting to you or twitter following of a million people we all have the ability to be ambassadors for the world we want to live in Mm. Um, and i think we grow our power by using the power that we already have you know by Mm. using our own personal intrinsic power and so, so don't sell yourself short. Um, and I would say to anybody, if you have a voice, if you have the ability to connect with anyone else, then you have the ability to affect positive change. And the more you use your power, the more you amplify that power. So start operating 
as though you are a change agent. Operate as, as a leader. Don't, don't wait for someone to give you permission or ask you to do it. Just show up that way. And, and, and I mean, I can look to myself as a kind of, as a good example. I have, I don't have any positional power. I left the corporate world many, many, many years ago. Um, but I, I feel really purposeful in my work and I feel, and that the more we do what's within our control with a sense of purpose and with courage, the more we expand our influence to, to affect change in really great ways. And we can start in our families, in our communities, in our schools and, and, and dial out from there in our workplaces, in our teams. And so to anybody that's listening, yes, I would just, I, just have you think about if you were going to operate from courage and not fear and really from a mindset that you have the ability to really magnify good things for, because of this, what would you do differently? What conversations would you have that you're not having? And where would you step up and challenge and and try things um, that maybe you would otherwise be hesitant to do? Yeah, great questions. Great questions. So now what's next for Mikey? <laughs> I, 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 it's funny, I was talking to a friend about this last week and he said, well, what are you doing now? And I, because a lot, a lot of my work just <laughs> kind of just can't, I was supposed to be actually flying around the US all of April, speaking at conferences and suddenly <laughs> I was sitting in my apartment doing nothing. Well, not doing nothing, but not going anywhere. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm back finishing off my PhD. I'm hoping, I'm hoping and actually given that the, the, the restrictions on travel to have that done by the end of this year, so that will be exciting um, and that's on the interplay of power, gender and leadership. Um, I'm also um, putting together a new podcast series for my Live Brave podcast and little plug there for anyone, take a listen to my Live Brave podcast. Um, and I'm putting together, I've been obviously doing a lot of, of speaking, but putting together a couple of leadership programs to run. So one for women's leadership and one for just brave leadership. In, in mm. So because I think right now we need brave leadership in every domain. Yes. I certainly didn't think you would be sitting there doing nothing. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> always it's, something it's not, on the radar. Not, yeah, sitting, sitting still. Well, I, I do take time every day to read and to write in my journal, but I'm not one for um, mm. watching daytime soaps, so no. <laughs> no, no, I'm with you on that one. Can't stand that. <laughs> awesome. So now, Maggie, how can people get in contact with you and buy your books and yeah. um, connect? Look, the, the, probably the best way is simply to pop over to my website, margiewarrell.com, and um, there's links to all my books there, including You've Got This. And actually, I encourage people to um, download the manifesto that I wrote for You've Got This, which you can, you can access on the, the book's webpage uh, on my website, and sign up for my newsletter and connect with me uh, wherever you hang out on social media. Um, but, yeah, I would just love to stay in touch because... Yeah, helping people be braver in their lives is um, is just what I feel very cool to do with mine. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. And I'll share um, the links with the show notes so that people can just click on that and um, get in touch with you quickly and get access to your book. So, um, Maggie, thank you so much um, for being part of this and for your wisdom and thank you for the work that you're doing in terms of encouraging and influencing people to be braver because it is absolutely needed and um, something I've, I've taken a lot of your advice on board 
um, I think I've got brave and it's completely doggy it all the way through. <laughs> <laughs> I've got, I've got, you've got this on um, audio, so it's a bit different, but it's amazing. And um, thank you so much for your time and your generosity today. Oh, and Julie, kudos to you for reaching out. It just goes to show fortune favours the brave. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks, Maggie. <laughs> all right, take care. Thanks. Thanks for listening. And I hope that you have gained some great ideas and feel inspired to get out there and make what you do count for your leadership, your business, and your life. Please do leave a review for this podcast and please share it with your network. Send any feedback or suggestions for future guests by emailing me, julie at juliehide.com.au. For now, let's get out there and make it count.